Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? High Fidelity Mac and Cheese, next. When your weekend's all spent up and you got Monday coming down the pike, sometimes all you need is a little comfort to get you through to Monday. Mac and Cheese Movies, where we believe in comfort food and comfort movies. Successful business and a dedicated following. I used to go to the double door to hear you spin. You were unbelievable. But when it comes to dating, hi, hi, this is Penny Harper. Hi, Caroline. He's still searching. Are you in or out, Rob? I'm sorry. Are you in or out? Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. For the right woman. What's your name? Now his search may have ended, <laughs> but his problems just started. I like you with Laura. I don't think much of this Ian guy. What Ian guy? You gotta be kidding me. The Touchdown night. Pictures presents. Oh, Ian. He's growing on me. He looks like he could grow on something. Jack Black, Lisa Bonet, Joan Cusack, Ethan Yila, Tim Robbins, Lily Taylor, and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Based on the international best-selling novel. Are you going to line that flower bed all night? No. High Fidelity. I'm looking for a record for my daughter. I just called to say I love you. Do we look like the kind of store that tells I just called to say I love you? Go to the mall. What's your problem? Do you even know your daughter? There's no way she likes that song. Oh, oh, oh. Is she in a coma? Hello. Welcome to Mac and Cheese Movies. I'm Scotty Coppage. And he's got front row tickets to Sonic Death Monkey, Joel Estes. Hey, what's up? In honor of our movie High Fidelity, we have Chicago Dogs. Joel, what's the difference between a regular hot dog and a Chicago dog? Well, from the Texan standpoint, we're used to you know, the cheaper variety of everything. But in the Northwest, and or, or the Midwest, I'm sorry, they tend to take their link sausages and link meats really seriously. So whenever you go up there, they have like the premium cuts and the premium meats and everything like that. They go no fillers. And um, what they like to do up there is use Vienna beef brand. And those are like, have a real nice casing on them and crisp up real well and snap whenever you bite them and everything like that but of course you can't get that here uh so we went with the best that you can get which of course is a, a hebrew national was was the the best that i could get at the moment and um what they do there is they basically drag the hot dog through the garden if you want to say uh you know here we're used to chili and wolf brand chili and, and grated cheese and everything like that but they Take a healthier approach to it, you know, and, and you noticed that earlier when we had it. We had it, it basically has a, d- a dill pickle spear, um, it has some sliced uh, tomatoes on it. I used Roma for ours, um, some diced white onion, um, some neon blue relish. Tell us which, about the relish. Yeah, the relish is in, it looks radioactive, sort of. You know, it, it's different. It's not not natural whatsoever, which is kind of like a contrast to the what the rest of what you're eating because everything is you know. 
homegrown pretty much, you know, and garden fresh. But that has, the key to making that is using uh, blue food dye. So you just take the regular sweet relish and just put a drop of, you know, the food dye in it and mix it around until it's as radioactive as you want it to look, I guess. Or just buy the Vienna brand and, and the jar if you can come across it, which you can get it on Amazon or you can get it, you know, ordered and, and sent to you via the internet. Um, but uh, if you can't do that, then that's how you make it yourself is blue food dye and sweet relish. This is the most adventurous hot dog I've ever had in my life. Dude, I'm absolutely. I'm a plain hot dog guy, sometimes ketchup guy, which mm-hmm. I think is blasphemy in Chicago. No, it is. Um, yes, they, they don't even carry it. So this 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 had so much flavor, and there was so much flavor, like in each bite. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like ten things in there going yeah. in. And, and on top of all that, we're forgetting the yellow mustard on top, and then I, I, what I think ties the whole whole thing together is celery salt. And the sprinkle of celery salt on top and gives it like that unctuous kind of sagey, salty, briny kind of thing to it, you know. And it just kind of ties it all together with all the freshness that's in there. You heard it here first. Celery salt. Add it to your arsenal. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, the only thing I ever use it for is Chicago dogs. But, you know, you can, you can have it. And then you did the Polish dogs for I us. Did, tell yeah. me, Tell us about the Polish uh, dogs. They're, they're called Maxwell Street Polishes. And... and, and um, it was one of the, the creations that kind of came around in like the evolution of Chicago. Um, Chicago is was one of the you know burgeoning cities you know in the West whenever everything was coming up and it was more industrialized and kind of like a hub of America. And they had a lot of um, beef processing and, and pig processing and everything like that going through there. And the working man always had the scraps and they turned the scraps into sausages and hot dogs and everything like that. And so they had this um, place on Maxwell Street, and they made these Polish sausages there. And they would griddle them up and put grilled onions and slap some yellow mustard on there and give them to people and to kind of like fill them up whenever they were going to work at the factory or or the the mill or whatever they were going to that day. And it just kind of stuck. So even though the original place isn't on Maxwell Street anymore, they kind of like are all over Chicago now. So you can get a Maxwell Street Polish, you know, anywhere you go in Chicago, and it's it's basically a regional specific thing. And what's the and what's the Polish that you did for us today? Uh, the Polish, which of course you know you can't get the traditional stuff here, so we had to you know punt and do Johnsonville. So we had, and apparently in Texas you can't get a link sausage that belongs in the bun that doesn't have cheese in it. And that's something that was very hard to find, and so we went with Johnsonville. I think better cheddar. You know, smoked sausage links is basically what we had to do. But uh, you seem to really enjoy those. <laughs> it, it, it was great, and it's a little surprise having the cheese in there. Yeah, it's, it's hard to go wrong with that little, you know, cheesy, you know, splash every time you take a bite. You know, it's it works out well. Yeah. Now we'll get to our movie, High Fidelity. According to the legends of IMDb, Rob, a record store owner and compulsive list maker, recounts his top five breakups, including the one in progress. So first taste... First time you saw it, your relationship to it, why is it a mac and cheese movie? For me, it, this uh, movie came out in 2000. And that time I was a freshman in college at USAO with Chick-fil-A. And I saw this with a girl I was interested in. We like went to her place and you know watched the movie and everything like that. And she described it to me and it seemed right up my alley. And sure enough, it was. You know, And it, it's, it's become one of my most favorite movies ever. Uh, I don't know if it'd make top five, but it'd be really close, you know. Um, 
as why as the mac and cheese movies, I think it's it's one of those stories that a lot of people can relate to, and it really resonates more with the music nerds out there, you know, because they're, they're you know Rob and 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 the others in the movie are kind of like an amalgam of all the music nerds you'll ever meet in your life, you know. I mean, they, they kind of like you know have all of the uh, characteristics that of people you, know, you would meet that are you know audiophiles, pretty much, you know. I'd read the book when it was all the rage in like GQ, Esquire, POV magazine in like the late 90s. And it was really cool writing. And, you know, I was 17 at the age where you're still finding new stuff mm-hmm. and you're still blown away by stuff. Um, so you read the book before you saw the movie? I read movie. the book before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the book is a, like a lot of books that start off really strong. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of fades to the middle of the pack. Yeah. Really, it's kind of you know I don't think of this as like one of my favorite books or anything, but there is like greatness in it. It took place in London. Right? Yeah, it's London, so yeah. they changed up some stuff in yeah. it. Um, so I see the movie. I love John Cusack. Big John Cusack fan. See it, and the movie kind of pairs up with the book. Like I feel mm-hmm. like the movie is like really strong in a lot of places, and then I think it kind of fades to the middle of the pack in some places. Um, so that that kind of that kind of happens, but I mean, this may have been one of the last VHS movies I bought because wow. um, I had this on like a lot in sophomore year in college, just mm-hmm. like have it on the background, kind of watching. You kind of I'm kind of watching the record store scenes mm-hmm. and the Jack Black stuff more than like the stuff that's going on with Laura or anything else. Like that, those are the things I'm fast forwarding to. <laughs> it's the record store stuff, the record stuff, the Jack Black stuff, and you know, at 20 years old. I identified with Rob, you know, at that age and at that time, you know, if it was a main character, you're pulling for them. Yeah. And they're the good guy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it wasn't until years later I realized Rob is kind of awful. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that was something that was brought to my attention when I watched the movie with my wife the other night. And she was very not a fan of his, you know, <laughs> she's she's a quick judge of character. And pretty quickly in this, like, this dude is an absolute asshole, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, it's it's something I never really picked up on because whenever I saw it, I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, you know, and um, I kind of identified with a lot of the stuff that was going on because I've had my heart broken and I've I had, you know, points where women have rejected me because they wanted somebody else. And it was something I kind of like latched onto. And then whenever I'm happily married and everything like that later on, you can kind of see the other side of the token a little bit. Yeah. And when, you know, when we were like 20 years old, having a girlfriend was a lot kind of simpler, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of about, oh yeah, what kind of music are you into? And this is this is what's important, where it's yeah. like when you're in a marriage or a long relationship when you're older, there's so many more facets oh, to it that yeah. it's like, it's, so it's kind of like, for this guy to be in his mid-30s or 30 or whatever John Cusack was at this time, to be kind of wrapped up in all this and mm-hmm. to kind of have all of these kind of still making these same mistakes, yes. you know, you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't notice that. You know, the first viewing. I'm noticing this now. You know, being 42 years old. Right. Yeah. It's uh, there's a lot of hypocrisy in Rob. I mean, throughout the entire movie, and a lot of things that that are not as important in life that he puts major value in. Like, you know, whether the the sex with you know Tim Robbins' character is better. Or, oh yeah. Or that some of these. Uh, there's there's so many examples to go through, and I'm sure we'll, we'll work them all up. But it's you can see like the growth of this guy and the light comes on at the end. And then there's the debate of, is he actually going to change? 
you know, is he going to become a better person after all mm-hmm. of this? Because he's putting two and two together and figuring out that, you know, the uh, not chasing the dream anymore, you know, and the, the, the pretty panties and everything mm-hmm. like that around the apartment, um, you know, that he is actually ready to settle down and, and move forward with life at, what, 30? Is he? Yeah. He's... <laughs> you know, and that's uh, it, that's uh, something I thought was funny is you... You're never too old to grow up. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, and I still love this movie mm-hmm. with flaws and all. I mean, John Cusack, Jack Black, you know, the growth that Rob has at the end. Mm-hmm. The ingredients, John Cusack, Lloyd Dobler himself. And I think this is why this is like, it's a Trojan horse to put John Cusack in this movie because you're always rooting for John Cusack because yeah. he's Lloyd Dobler. Absolutely. So that's why I didn't think Rob was a dick for a long time because it's John Cusack. It's Lloyd Dobler doing mm-hmm. it. Um, so this is definitely the John Cusack run where my mom would say, oh, it's a, a movie where he's pining for the girl. And, they, 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 you know, he made a nice, you know, 10, 12-year run out of those kind of movies. Yeah. Um, but John Cusack, incredible. What do you think about John Cusack? I love John Cusack. He, he's always been sort of like one of those dark horse actors. You know, he, he's always kind of like in, you know, pulled back a little bit. Never really... I wouldn't, I wouldn't call him A-list. But he's... Cool, you know, in a way that Johnny Depp is cool, or a way that Robert Downey Jr. is cool. I mean, he's got like that edge to him, you know. And I, I really like him and, and a lot of his stuff. Um, and this, I think, is is my favorite movie of his. And all, all honestly, because mm-hmm. he's he gets to be the hero in a way. He's more anti-hero than anything, but you know, the main focus and it's kind of dark, you know, in a yeah. way. The way he he comes through and. His uh, views on life. And everything. There aren't many actors that pull off kind of the mopey and depressed like John Cusack. He's got it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you can tell that it's one of those things he kind of thrives in. And th- this role really necessitates it because you have to be able to be able to pull back from overacting and, and, and everything like that. And, and he, he, does, he nails it. Absolutely nails it. And we have Jack Black, and I think this is, might be his like breakout role. I mean, I would say so uh, if if you don't count Tenacious D. But just, I mean, <laughs> I guess it's kind of like a cult, a cult thing, you know, like a cult following. There's but, there's uh, like a character like Barry in like a lot of movies, mm-hmm. and it's usually fifty fifty goes the wrong way. Like yeah, this you know, pre shallow Hal was pre shallow Hal. Yeah, I think that was like his boom breakout, you know. But this mm-hmm. was, was something that kind of thrust him into. But I think that yeah, this is. I think this is like. Two years before School of Rock, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe without this, maybe we don't get School of Rock for whatever reason. I, don't think I mean, so. yeah. I mean, we probably do, mm-hmm. but this is just a great preamble to Jack Black that's going to be in our lives for the rest oh, of our lives. You know, yeah, yeah and, and the way the way he digests music and presents mm-hmm. it and everything like that in his very unique way that he does. You know, uh, yeah, I, I don't think we do get School of Rock without this. Absolutely, Todd Luiso is Dick. He was one of the dicks instead of a woman. Yeah. He's one of the rich kids. He's also in Jerry Maguire. He's one that's like, I'm going to introduce Ray to jazz. Yeah. He's like, he's that guy. And but my favorite performance of him is he's in The Rock mm-hmm. with Nick Cage. Oh, where, he is. Where they're trying to deactivate the bomb and the chemical stuff is all going out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, like, get the antidote, inject it, and then you can defuse the bomb. And it's this huge, long syringe. And he's like... You want me to inject this into my heart? Are you fucking nuts? Um, and this is like all while Nick Cage is like defusing the bomb and doing everything. And like, it's just, he's in that one scene and you just like, I always remembered him. So he's, he's been in some really good stuff. And I think mm-hmm. 
This he's good in this. He compliments the film. Absolutely, he balances out like John Cusack and Barry. Right. We were when we were talking about you know possible actors who could take different roles. There wasn't anyone I could jump in and say this could do better than Todd Luiso in mm-hmm. this. You know, and not that I could say anybody would do better in the other two roles like Jack Black or, or Cusack's role, but Todd Luiso, I couldn't think of another guy who could pull off that milk toast kind of you know guy in the in the background you know who's just there and he's really beta and you know <laughs> you know i couldn't think of anybody and, and it would have to be someone you know, like a character actor kind of like him you know that's just kind of always in these little big mm-hmm. roles and then we've got uh, the women we have lisa bonnet mm-hmm. a national treasure we have Catherine zeta jones joan cusack our laura is i've been hijil it's like a danish name yeah. i don't know how to pronounce it yeah. um she's laura she's sad she's upset her character isn't supposed to be a real flamethrower like Catherine Zeta-Jones right. or like John Cusack. So and I think that was very. That's why they made the casting choice that they did. Because if you notice, I look back on our IMDb because I was like, I can't really place her in anything else. Really, she's a, almost strictly a Danish actor mm-hmm. actress. I'm sorry, and um, yeah, she hasn't really done. This was like her first American role, I believe. And uh, you don't haven't seen anything from her since, and I think that was kind of like the reason why they cast her is it was easy to put her in that situation, you know, to where she was more of a, you know, the catalyst of everything, you know, and going along with it. But and Tim, and we also have Tim Robbins, yeah, in, in a few scenes, um, which he's he's fun. Lily Taylor, mm-hmm. she's can say anything. She's. Joe lies, Joe lies, <laughs> Joe lies when he cries. She's, she's that girl. So it's like, um, it's it's really good to have her in in this movie. You know, reuniting with John Cusack. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just fun. Yeah, oh, that's great stuff. Yeah, I, I love to say anything. The beta band customer. Mm-hmm. I looked this up on IMDb. Like the guy who like, it's like, mm, yeah, it's good. This guy is. He's not. I don't. I don't recognize him from anything else. But he's in the Dark Knight, and his IMDb profile picture is him in the Joker mask for like the bank robbery scene at the beginning. Really? So good for him. Wow. Good for that dude. He's working on his credits, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty stellar so far. The director Steven Frears directed a ton of movies. Not Mm -hmm. really like any like great, fantastic movies. But I mean, he's done. He worked a lot. So I mean. I guess he comes in under budget and he does well and actors like him. He did the faithful adaptation okay. of this, which is, you know, not a lot of directors can mm-hmm. pull off, you know, to, to take a literary work and translate it to film and make it work. You know, there's so many problems with that whenever people will, you know, read a book and then go and watch a movie that it just doesn't click, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there was a, another one that uh, with Daisy Jones and the Six. Uh, you recommend yeah, it to me. Yeah. Um, we haven't started watching it because my wife wants us to listen to it on audiobook before we okay. watch the show. So yeah. just, just in case something like that happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Frears did did a very, very, very good job of, of adapting you know the literary work to this. Mm-hmm. It seems to have picked up on a lot of people that have read the book, yeah. Remix the ingredients. I've got some ideas on this. Ah, yes. I don't... Let me pull up my notes on this one also. So I said, John Cusack is good looking, but not a fox. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if some people are too good looking to be in this part where they're like always getting <laughs> dumped and rejected. Um, but I'm just going to put some people in here. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Jude Law would be fun. I didn't think of Jude Law. Yeah, he's, he's not the one. That, I don't. 
I don't know if he can pull off the music geek kind of thing. That's it, it, and that's and that's that was my hang up whenever I was trying to come up with different people who could take Cusack's role. Is could you could they be a realistic mm-hmm. music nerd? You know, I think I was kind of looking at like who's good at like talking to the camera, mm-hmm. who can do that part like really well. That kind of yeah. like anchors it to a degree. Yeah, my first one that, that popped up in my head was Ethan Hawke. I've got yeah okay yeah. yeah. I can totally see Ethan Hawke doing it. He was in Reality Bites, and yeah, he did the the musician thing thing. There. He's in this movie Juliet Naked, which is a Nick Hornby adaptation. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I think that would. I, I think he could pull yeah. it off though, because he could do the whole grungy underpaid mm-hmm. store owner thing. But I don't know how great he would be at breaking the fourth wall, you mm-hmm. know, and speaking to the camera the yeah. way Cusack did. Because Cusack, it was immaculate the way mm-hmm. he did it. Um, another one I have that I think would completely change the vibe of the movie was Joaquin Phoenix. Oh. And I think he could pull that off because we've seen, you know, him in like, you know, the Joker and we've seen him and, um, her and, and all those, and he can play like the, the sad guy. And, um, I, I could believe he was a music nerd and we've seen him. You know, talk to the camera also in, in, mm-hmm. in different roles, and I, I think Joaquin would he would bring a darker kind of vibe to it. I think than Cusack did, yeah, um, because you would believe his instability because <laughs> he's he's projected it on screen so many times, you know. And I'm trying to think of a movie where he's even kind of happy. Oh man, I would have to maybe even like man. parts of Walk the Line. Maybe I mean I mean it's like. But that's, I mean, that's really about it. I mean, he's usually... Yeah. I, I can't remember Johnny Cash really being that happy in that flick. Because it was, it was yeah, always, you know, the wrong kid yeah. died, you know, and, and chasing chasing that ghost. And um, I would have to look up and see if I could find a happy Joaquin Phoenix movie. I, I, I would like... I'm very curious to see if that exists. Because in Parenthood, he's not... Oh, absolutely not! Oh no, he, he's a he's an absolute train wreck, and he he looks completely different. Um, he had quite the glow up, mm-hmm. you know. From, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess you could call that a glow up, but he was he, you could barely tell that it was him, you know, if you didn't know it, it was. You know, it's not one of those like child actors you could pick out and say, "Oh, this is this guy." Mm-hmm. You know, he he looks completely different. He had like the California haircut and everything like that in Parenthood, and. Um, yeah, this changes the vibe, but Robert Downey Jr. I I thought of that too. I I think he could he could get away with doing. Yeah, that. I absolutely think he could. Uh, he would be a lot more. Um, I think more of a comic style. Yeah, and there's more kind of there's more kind of high energy with him. Mm-hmm. But I think that would be really good. I also had on here, Mike Michael J. Fox. I didn't think about Michael J. Fox. That would be interesting. It was uh, uh, unfortunately his, his, you know, you know, disease is yeah. one of those things that kind of like jumped forward yeah. to me, and I was like, I don't know, if, you know, when that started kicking. I think that was probably about ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, it was so right around, it's right, right around this time. That's like when it, when he kind of stopped acting. Yeah. And I have a couple more. Who do you have? There was there were so many that jumped out at me, and it would completely change the vibe of the movie. But I think it would pull it off. Um, I think the trio that they have with. You know, Todd and, and Jack Black and, and Cusack were great for that period, so you would have to, to change everything up. Jason Sudeikis jumped out at me, and I think he could really pull that off. Is Rob? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, that would that would, that would be fun, and it would. Uh, I don't know if he could nail the the dark parts of it, 
but it would make it more of a lighthearted, more of a comedy, which I, I guess... Would they consider this one a comedy? It's a comedy. It's Is kind it? of a comedy. Yeah. I don't call this a drama. No. Yeah. It's it's got it's. I guess if it has Jack Black in it, yeah. it can't be too serious, you know. But um, I think he would lighten lighten the mood a whole lot, and it would be, you know, he. he I don't know if he could pull off the a hole as much. As, yeah. As yeah. Saying did. Um, another one I brought up was uh, thought of was Bradley Cooper, which would be fun. I no. think he could pull that. Yeah. Off. Oh yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely, and and he would be a uh, a great you know music lover because he is in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's. Uh, did you ever see? Oh, what was the one that he did with Lady Gaga? Um, man, I'll have to look. Um, I know what. Yeah, it was um, incredible. It's, oh, now it was I'm thinking so of the song cool. "Shallow." The "Shallow" is the song. Yes, yes. What's the damn movie called? Oh. Um, it's supposed to get Best Picture. It didn't get Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm gonna have to look that one. Up. God, um, but yeah, Bradley Cooper, a Star is Born. Star is Born. That's Star is it. Born. That's it. He was incredible in that, and and actually, Cooper um, orchestrated all the music, mm-hmm. and he uh, learned to play and everything like that, and, and recorded some of it. Um, there's a, an artist I really like named Jason Isbell. He wrote a song for this, and um, Bradley Cooper was you know the guy who actually sung it, mm-hmm. and uh, did a very 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 good job with it. Uh, I think Cooper could actually uh, pull it off. And here's my last one. Okay. And Paul Giamatti. Oh. Oh, that's good. That's yes. the guy outside the box. Tell and me. That was, it would, I, I don't know if you could see him as quite the romantic type. Yeah. Because it was, if we've seen Sideways. You yeah. Know, you yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen him in, in, in that situation. Or, or like American Splendor. or yes. like Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, where he's, he really pulls desperate yeah. off. You know. Uh, I think Giamatti could really change it. I think he could, he could get into it. Um, he would definitely bring a different vibe to it, but there's there's so many different guys that would bring a, a different flavor to this role and translate it in a very positive way. You know that would be really fun to watch, um, and that's not something you can really say with a lot of movies. You know, if because a lot of them are written for specific people, and, and you know, I, I know Cusack had his hands in this, you mm-hmm. know, writing because he was yeah. a credited writer on it. And they wrote the you know role for Jack Black specifically, um, but uh, it's one of those you can kind of cast a wide net you know with different you know actors and it would change the vibe of the movie and still make it very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anybody for Barry? Yes. Who do you have for Barry? Uh, I have two. Take. I've um, only got one. So you go. You can do yours. I have two. I have Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. I could. That's mm-hmm. the first one that jumped out because you 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 kind of want that the oafish appearance, you mm-hmm. know that that you know Jack Black has, and still being able to pull off the the physical comedy and everything like that that he does, and and I think Philip Seymour Hoffman could definitely um, do major justice to what he was doing. Yeah, for sure. Philip Seymour Hoffman is kind of like a master key. He can kind of go. He can go into gosh, like yes. kind of. Every kind of role. Mm-hmm. I think he's come up on the show a lot. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, he, he's pulled off such a wide variety of characters. You know, <laughs> you kind of you're going to kind of see like the more twister aspect. You mm-hmm. know, the way the way the camp yeah. character he was a mm-hmm. twister. He would be a little bit more with the you know, in, in or like class. a long came Polly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you can totally see that. But he's definitely the first one that picked up, and, and I, I honestly wouldn't replace Jack Black in this role. No, for anything, no, it's absolutely yeah. perfect in it. 
But Philip Seymour Hoffman, you have to tip the cap, you know, if he had the ability to do it. Who was your second one? Bill Hader. He doesn't have the oafish quality uh-huh. to him or everything like that, but he's got the sharp wit. He's got the mouth, and he's mm-hmm. got, you know, the vibe and everything like that that can pull it off. And I think Bill Hader is one of those. And he also has that comic mystique to him, you know. Mm-hmm. And... um I think he would be really good, you know, if he wanted to, you know, bulk up <laughs> an extra seventy. Hey, I can, I can see know. him not wanting to sell the records of the guy. No, absolutely. Or totally. or to the customer about like, he'd yeah, go to the mall. Yeah, he'd have been. A, I think he would have been a bigger dick to him than Black was, you know, <laughs> in that situation. But uh, yeah, I th- Hater would be very very fun in that role, just for those those moments and especially the uh, musical debates he gets in, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, I think he would be—he would have been fantastic. You know. My pick is a very two thousand pick. Mm-hmm. Sean William Scott. Oh, I think. Oh, um, wow! Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. He once again—he doesn't have the the body type. He doesn't have the that. body type, and he probably doesn't have the range mm-hmm. that Philip Seymour Hoffman or Bill Hader have. Yeah, but you know, he was right in a moment. Yeah, you know, with this in in the year two thousand, oh, you know, post Stifler yeah. and. And he was he did uh, did the Kevin Smith movie I think I I can see John Cusack like choking him and him mm-hmm. being like ah, you yeah. know the only only issue I would have with him is he's got kind of like a jock vibe to him. he he does and I think they would have to rein that back a little bit you know but because there's definitely no jocks in this yeah. movie whatsoever yeah. you know but he's that's the only that would be my only um, qualm with that yeah is the jock. Kind of, kind of character to him, you know, that he pulled, did so well in Stifler. In my notes for the viewing, I'll get an autocorrect, mm-hmm. um, but I still know what, what the thought is. I still mm-hmm. know what it means. Um, I, this is in my notes, and I have no idea what it means. It says, guys struggle with women who aren't uncles. And I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what I was going. I'm sure, like, the uncles was the thing that got auto-corrected. Yes. Um, so I don't know um, on that. I struggle with women that yeah. aren't uncles. I'm struggling. I don't know. <laughs> it, we don't, it, we'll never know. We'll never know. What are, what, are some of the, what are some of the things you want to talk about, like with Chicago and the vinyl experience? The, the vinyl experience is something that I think is, is lost on the newer generation. I'm glad to see the resurgence of vinyl. And I think I uh, heard recently that Vinyl has outsold CD for the first time in forever, you know. And I don't know who's still buying CDs anymore. I guess I guess at merch stands, at, it's hard. At, it's at hard. It's hard to stuff, get them. It's. I mean, they're not yeah. in Best Buy. They're not in Target. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, you can't even get a car with one anymore. You know, so yeah. it's kind of like it's kind of difficult. But it's the whole physical property of what you're listening to and the ritual you'll go through whenever you're listening to a physical form of music. And I think vinyl is the epitome of all of that because you have the fold-outs and you have the inserts and you have the liner notes and you have all the lyrics right there and you have all the artwork. And and it's it gives you a different listening experience and it allows you to absorb an album differently than, you know, you would or, or, or you know, the, the what the artist is trying to portray because you're not skipping to another song. You know, you're not skipping to another. You, you can't hit shuffle. You know, and it's kind of like you experience the album the way it was intended by the person who recorded it. 
And that's something that I wish, you know, like my kids could. Yeah, you have you have kids. You have kids. What what is what is the music experience like for them? For them, it's very backgroundish. I would say it's more of it's not something that they digest as. um, I I don't want to say eagerly, but it's it's one of those they're multitasking, Mm -hmm. and and you and you absorb because when like whenever I was young, I used to go and you know put on music and lay on my bed and, you know, throw a tennis ball against the wall and just listen to the whole album, you know, and just, and just let it go. I thought I was listening to cassettes and CDs at the time, but, you know, vinyl would, is the same thing because you have to babysit it, you know, whenever you put it on, you put that needle on, you got to be there whenever the, the, it goes or else it's just going to grind your needle off if you don't have like an auto stop feature or something like that on your turntable. But it, it's, I think it allows you to absorb music differently and it makes you more of an active listener. And, uh, it was definitely really cool to get the CD booklet mm-hmm. and you got the lyrics and you like listen to it. And it's like kind of, I mean, I remember somebody telling me that they like got the kid a album, mm-hmm. got a six pack of beer and just put, got in the recliner and just like listened to that album. Yeah. And it's just like with the six pack. And it was like, yeah, like I want to do that. And even now I want that kind of experience, but I find myself doing a million other things like cleaning yeah. the house or doing laundry or something else you know instead of just like hey we're just here we're just yeah gonna, we're just- it's, it's it's harder to unplug and and just absorb music the way that you used to you know whenever things were less hectic and you had less distraction and of course we always have these little devices in our hand at all times that keep us you know connected to everything in the world and it kills your train of thought and therefore kind of kills your music listening experience and it's something that's kind of it's it's a bummer it really is you yeah know? And uh, and another thing that I really like about having physical forms of music is whenever we were kids, we used to trade them. Like you would, you know, at, I, we used to go and spend uh, summers at my grandma's house, and my cousins lived right down the road, and they're similar age as me. And uh, the best trade I ever made, period, was I had the Twister soundtrack, and I had Green Day's Insomniac, and I traded it. From melancholy and the infinite sadness to my cousin, my cousin Craig. Yeah, and it was that was the best trade I've ever. And, and to this day, mm-hmm. Craig still wants his melancholy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was and, and that opened my eyes to the pumpkins and everything like that, and kind of changed. You know, the, the Twister soundtrack has the Van Halen song. Yes, and it has the Goo Goo Dolls song mm-hmm. that's really rocking. Yeah. I don't remember what else is on that CD, Not but like a lot. I, I mean, you so know. that's a, that's a lopsided trade. Mm-hmm. You. Got you yeah, hustled absolutely. that guy. Now, now Green Day, Green Day, the, Insomniac's a good album. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. I think it's a little bit more darker than some of the, you know Green Day's other. Like, I don't know if you listen to Green Day really tough, you know, or really closely, it's it's all dark. But uh, you know, it's the way it's brought out in the pop punk you know aspect of it. But um, Insomniac is is a really dark album. I think uh, Billy Joe was going through some drug problems at the time, you know. But that was that was I, I, it was a lopsided side of trade. You know, I, I fleeced the guy, unfortunately, you know, on that one because Melancholy is just one of those. Uh, it's it's a masterpiece. It should be hanging in the Louvre, you know. It's 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 just a great album. It really is. Like the second CD was like. It's it's like oh man yeah, and what I like about is is how each each of the CDs or each of the the sides of it I guess is has a different vibe you know and and that's and that that song just yeah that album is definitely something that like 
it works well, so well together. Mm-hmm. Like when you listen to them consecutively, it's got a yin and yang. Yeah, to it that just it plays off of each other really well. No, absolutely, it, it, the, the pumpkins were so good at that. They're so good at that. Rob says that he wants to listen to something he can ignore mm. in the movie, and I was mm. like, "That's what he's doing with his life." Yeah, he's not facing his demons. He's not facing like so like like that. I was thinking about that when I saw this movie. Um, is it in fact unfair to criticize a formerly great artist for his latter day sins? Is it better to burn out or fade away? What do you think, Joel? Uh, there's so many, so many people you can you can point that towards. Stevie Wonder was like the obvious choice because. He had this three album run in the seventies that was just insane, and then he sold out, you know, big time. And uh, there's, I absolutely do believe that as musicians go along, then they they definitely, you know, fade away more than more than anything. But they seem to be cashing in at the bank more than when when I was younger, I probably wanted them to just burn out mm-hmm. or whatever. You, let's stay perfect. Let's keep this perfect record. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, sometimes you don't have, you, you think you're writing a song that's really awesome yeah. and it's not. Oh, it's, and it's, you just kind of don't have what you maybe had when you were hungry before you had any money. I don't think there's a better example out there than Metallica. I really don't think there is. I mean, their, their first four albums that they put out were absolutely immaculate. And if you, if you talk to any metalhead out there, they're going to put those four albums up on the pedestal. Now, when it comes to the Black Album, that's where they fell off. You know, they hired a different producer and everything like that, and, and they were more on the radio and everything like that. And, and, and then they cut their damn hair and put out Load and Reload, yeah, yeah. you know, and then did the um, Some Kind of Monster documentary and put out St. Anger, which they don't even play any St. Anger songs live anymore. I mean, they might play Frantic from time to time, but I think that's it. And... Um, you know, they have a board that controls them and they have, you know, other people that tell them what to do and, <laughs> and everything like that. But it's, uh, yeah, Metallica is definitely the, the band that you can think of that they definitely faded away. You yeah. Know? But I, I can't say that because they're still just as huge as, I mean, they're legendary. Yeah. You know? And I'm for, I mean, if, if I came up with an awesome album, I'd cash out too. Yeah. I would, yeah, I'll sell my stuff for, you know, these people are like $170 million mm-hmm. getting get their masters to whatever. Yeah, you know, some, so many people are doing that now. And it's, I can it's, kind, it's kind of like that, la- that last kind of big paycheck mm-hmm. that's going to take care of my families for 100 years. Yes. yes. You know. Yeah, uh, totally. If I, if I was in their situation, I would do it now yeah. too. Because you're, you're making beans with, with music now. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you'll, you'll get a lot more of it. Uh, from like licensing now, yeah. But streaming pays you absolutely nothing, you know. And you're you're and I see a lot of. Uh, yeah, I'm plugged into the concert scene, and I go to a lot of concerts and shows and everything like that. And what what I've noticed is that's how people make their money now, you know, and and not so much. And well, of course, the resurgence of vinyl helps with that as well, you know, because they're they're able to sell those, and they're actually selling vinyl albums at every merch stand I've been to, you know, all the concerts we've been, but. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a live live music thing. That's how they're making their money now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Which is it, it's really sad because you know the the music's the vehicle, and that should be able to carry more monetary value than it does. And that's just the way digital has come around, and it's not helping the artist out. So their their work is you know, pretty much going yeah 
know. It's a tough. It's a tough deal for established acts no, to be making any money yeah. now. Like it's like, yeah, you're seeing you're seeing a lot more people um, go the independent route. Mm-hmm. You're going to notice a lot of um, musicians out there own their own record labels now, like uh, through Foo Fighters. So Dave, Dave Grohl has a Roswell Records. Yeah, Jack White Jack, has yeah. as what Third Man. Yeah, I believe, and it's and all the rappers do and everything like that. Everybody in hip hop has their own labels, and I mean they're they're getting their own paychecks you know they're getting three different paychecks you know but for the same product and you're starting to see less people sign the labels mm-hmm. and uh it's definitely not a way to make money anymore for sure something is glossed over so much in this movie um you forget it's even there is he slept with someone else mm. while laura was pregnant he didn't know she was pregnant Borrowed money, and he also said he was like maybe looking for someone else. <laughs> it's like, and it's and it's kind of in this like little two minute snippet, and yes. it's like kind of barely mentioned after that. You know, Rob is the asshole yeah, in this, absolutely, and he's our main yeah. character. But this is mentioned once or twice, and that's it. And it's like, holy hell! Like, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, I kind of it took a turn. The movie took a massive turn whenever that happened. And uh, my wife watched it with me the first time the other night, and that that was the thing that really turned her against him, is is that, and um, I felt it too, you know, and and it's one of those things that I've, I've watched this movie dozens of times, you know, since I first watched it, and that carries a lot more weight than it did back then, which I guess it should have carried weight back then, but you know. But we're we're young, right, and and you know. it's kind of it's kind of snuck in there. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, purposefully, mm-hmm. it's snuck in there, and you're meant to kind of forget it. Yeah, they, they kind of took the edge off of it a little bit more whenever um, it's revealed that he didn't cheat on her, knowing she was pregnant. Yeah, that would have been, you know. I don't think you could have came back from that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you find out that your girlfriend's pregnant, and then, well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bye. You know, I'm going to go and check out something else. But um, it, it makes it more. I, I don't want to call it, say redeemable, but um, I, we weren't the person who was in that situation to to say that it was redemptive. You know, I guess yeah. Laura was, and she she found it in herself to to take him back after that. But a lot of people wouldn't, and uh, yeah, it would be bad. And we were talking about this off off mic. How he gets her back is like not like I don't know like super plausible. Like no. her dad dies. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Woman I've ever dated. If we've broken up, would be like, yeah, I want you to come to the funeral, and then I want you to sleep with me because I want to feel something else besides that. I don't yeah. like none of this. Like, and that's I think that kind of fleshes Laura's character out a little bit because you really don't see very much you know, growth from her or, or really any personality until the end of the movie. And you see her, you know, and whenever he goes on that rant, you know, about the, the, the river, he's talking about her redemptive qualities and, and, and everything that he loves about her. Then you start to flesh out her character more. And she might be just as, you know, self-harming and, and you know, uh, lost as Rob is. You know, we just don't see it. Yeah, yeah. Because we're, we're seeing everything through Rob's lens and his point of view. We're seeing everything with him. Yeah. She forgives a hell of a lot, you know? <laughs> and another thing that kind of boggles my mind is after all that, and they finally get back together, then he meets the girl from the, uh, the, the Yeah. Yeah, Caroline Fortis, I guess, mm-hmm. is, is her name in there. 
and uh, he's you know into her and making a tape for her, and then he's like, and then she catches him in the act of doing it, and she knows his moves, yeah. you know, and she still brushes it off and puts the groceries, you know, on the kitchen table and keeps going through with the thing, and you know if. Uh, that was like my wife. I would be wearing the groceries. Mm-hmm. You know, she would make sure to throw them at me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, you, you see a lot of gro- of uh, development out of her at the end, and I'm not sure it's all great. You know, the best underwear thing is like real, uh-huh. and we grow up and think it's going to be the ban- best panties of all time, mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's you know. For the most part, it's the beige bra and panties. Oh, That's yeah. how stuff. The, definitely, as we get older, ones, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, when I broke my shoulder and Shannon was having to dress me, my <laughs> underwear was so horrible. It's like any mystique I had remaining was dying. And a friend of mine got me like a pack of new underwear uh-huh. that kind of saved the day. I felt you know because I was just like, you know, it's just kind of you, you get older and mm-hmm. you're married to someone, you're in a long term relationship with someone. Like mm-hmm. you're not gonna be wearing like. The hot underwear. No. Yeah. No, uh-uh. No, it's a, definitely not something that's going to happen. And um, Yeah, you get the threadbare panties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's been around forever. The thing that, uh, one thing my wife commented on, that I didn't even notice I did, was I would work very long stretches. And so that means it would be difficult for me to go and, and do laundry. So I would go home after work and go to Walmart and just grab a new pair yeah. of boxer briefs and take them home and there you go. I have clean underwear again and then so I get to sleep and wake mm-hmm. up and go back to work. And I did that a lot. And one day, whenever we moved in together, we were doing all the laundry and putting everything away and I had like 40 pairs of underwear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's something you accrue as you get older and, and of course, I never throw anything away and I use it until it dies, you know, pretty much. And, and underwear, you're wearing one one pair a day, yeah. you know, and, and you keep going. And, uh, yeah, I, I never realized just how that happens whenever you're adult. You just accrue stuff like yeah. that and and uh, never throw them away. And, yeah, I can totally see where mm-hmm. Rob is coming from because that was definitely a, it, not, not and, a very flattering and, and, experience. And, and, and that's a, I think that's a also, like, us being 19 when we watched this. Mm-hmm. Like, any girl that we saw her underwear, oh, it was amazing because yeah. they they yeah. they know they that... They picked that out for you. For you, you for that night. Yeah. They know what's going on. Yeah. It's like, and we were like, oh, this is what it's this like. Is, oh, this, oh, this is the it. greatest yeah. thing yeah. ever. Yeah. Especially whenever you, you know, they're, they're young like that anyway, yeah. and they specifically, yeah. you know, this is... You know the, that experience is new for them too. Yeah, so they're they're wanting to gussy everything up, but everything matches. Yeah. and you know it's uh yeah definitely more of the fantasy of what Rob realizes mm-hmm. later on in the movie um, that the fantasy really doesn't exist and it doesn't pay off. You know because there's always the reality that's sitting behind, and that's something that he has to come to terms with and realizes it about thirty. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and we we all come with baggage and we mm-hmm. all come with like families and we all come with all kinds of problems Absolutely. that we have to kind of work together with to make it. I mean, it's not, Oh, she's not into this Led Zeppelin album. Like oh. uh, I'm done. I'm done with this girl. I'm done. You Dude, know? Yeah. It's, it's the more I kind of grew up the, and the more women that, you know, the different women that I dated as I was trying to, you know, cause I've, I've been, you know, separated before and, um, got in different relationships. I learned that that really doesn't matter as much. You know, it's, it's more your compatibility and and you're on on a friendship level and everything like that. Like me and my wife, our our interests could not be any more different. You know, she likes you know completely different things than I do, and 
don't even really like the same movies all that much and you know and it's but we work really well together and that's kind of a you know rob's realization of all that is and he realizes just how shallow all those values really are you know it would be nice if you have those things that you can relate to with each other but sometimes that just you know the the phrase opposite attracts you know it it exists for a reason you know and yeah yeah for sure Knocking out someone's teeth and then hitting them with an AC unit <laughs> is such an incredible, awesome, original way to fight someone. Todd went straight gangster on that guy. That was the, I, I laugh so hard every time that comes on because it's, it's totally out of character for him. But he went straight G on him at the end, pulling the window unit out and snaps the power cord and you know, get him, Barry! You know? <laughs> that was great. That was such an awesome fit, scene. The theory of it's not what you're like, it's what you like, and we've kind of talked about this. There has to be something else for that to ha- help your relationship, mm-hmm. and we've kind of, plus a lot of people like I think a lot of people I would I kind of ask people I'd be I'd do that be this douchebag be like oh what's your favorite three albums from this band or something I'm that <laughs> asshole, um, and a lot of people don't think like that like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't think of oh, they're just like, I like something on the radio. Yeah. And I'm kind of like that too. I was like, oh, I know this song. I like them. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I, why do I have to take a test yeah. to prove to you I like them? You know, but I, but I was <laughs> the, doing the, the that. Name three songs I, kind of thing, you know. Um, and a lot of people don't make f- top five lists or organize their music collection autobiographically, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like... I'm not sure how you would do that. How would you make, like, organize your albums autobiographically? How would I think it's got to be by year. Man. By year that you listen to it, that you got it. I, can see. I don't like the how it's like put in the movie is kind of weird because he's like, oh well, no, I put it here because I bought it for a friend but never gave it to them. It's like yeah, I, all that stuff sounds like weird, weird kind of trickery. Right. Like, yeah, um, I don't know if you could actually do it like that though because you know obviously you would have been exposed to the song or the album before that. So why would you pick that one specific memory to relate that song to? Maybe you have to do it connected to something with your life. Maybe that's maybe so. I would I would have to try to put that into practice before I could really I, then I would lose things <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> I would really want to find that Zeppelin album one day and then no can't do it anymore but yeah. so in, so anybody who has organized their music collection autobiographically Please. hit us up tell yes. us how you did it we want to know mixtapes were you a mixtape mix CD guy absolutely yeah I mean, we, we started off doing it uh, on cassette and you're recording off of the radio and everything like that, so you would have to sit there and wait for the song to come mm-hmm. on and just hope yeah. the freaking DJ wasn't talking through it. And yeah. The, the intro. and Yeah, I, absolutely I was. And uh, I learned how to um, factory reset my mom's computer thanks to Kazaa and LimeWire and all those other... Because, you know, you would always download a virus with it. Yeah. It would yeah. always screw your computer up. So I became a pro at factory resetting computers. Um, the, yeah, we, we did, uh, I did, did cassettes, you know, but we only did those, um, for the radio. We would never do those. And we never had like the CD, you know, I had like that thing where you double them. I had, I had one that was called the star studio mm-hmm. that I could wow. do that. It was yeah. like, it was like a thing where it's like, it was designed for, it had a microphone with it for you to sing along with the song and it would record the song and you singing it. Oh, wow. So that's what the blank tape would be. Yeah. Um, but like, so I had that, so I would do that sometimes. I, I don't think I made any mixed tapes, cassettes 
for anybody. But I did like mix CDs for yeah. That's my move. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the and, CDs. Like I said, we never had to dub, uh, but we we did do the digital. You know, whenever Napster came around, or what what mm-hmm. happened after Napster. That's how we started making our, our CDs that way. Getting the CD burner. Mm-hmm. Now my computer doesn't have like a CD drive. <laughs> it doesn't even have um, a drive on it anymore. I gave, when Beto O'Rourke was here, mm-hmm. like four years ago, I made him a CD. Really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what, what direction did you go Well, I, I, the, some of the stuff that he's into, like he's in, he's friends with the Mars Volta people. I think he played really? with them. Like some, I know he was in a band. He was, just, he was in like a like some punk rock band when mm-hmm. he was younger. So some of that stuff and like that kind, kind of stuff of stuff that I had that's like kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, as, as that's what I made for him. That's really cool. That's really cool. We have a few top five lists before we end our show. Mm-hmm. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about before we get to the top fives? I'm ready to jump into the top five. Okay. I've been really looking forward to this. Okay. Which one do you want to do first? Um, let's do the top five songs while cooking. I think you brought that one up. Excellent. Yes. Top five while cooking. Uh, you want to jump in first or you want me to go? Okay. You want me to do, I'm going to do all of them. Okay. I'm going to do all five. Um, Wolf Like Me by TV on the Radio. Nice. Okay by the Beastie Boys. <laughs> um, Block Rock and Beats by the Chemical Brothers. Wow, you're on a different vibe than I was, yeah. Last Night by the Strokes. I can see that, yeah. And like, that would be a good one. Summer of 69 by Brian Adams. <laughs> That's such a grab bag of and, songs. And I think you know my I mean? cooking list is probably similar to like my dishwashing playlist because like mm-hmm. I want something real kind of rocking yeah. to get me through these dishes. So we, that, man, that's I went with a completely different direction here because whenever I'm cooking, I kind of want, I guess the, the not the songs you can ignore, kind of like Rob was, yeah. you know. But I want something more that'll like blend into the background a little bit. But also I can sing to, but not quite rock out to like you would in a car, you know. So I'm kind of wanting the the sing alongs pretty much, but like the more tame sing alongs, mm-hmm. you know. So I went with "That Wasn't Me" by Brandy Carlisle, okay, because that's got the whole. Motownish kind of mm-hmm. like R&B kind of feel to it, and you can belt it, you know, if you wanted to. Um, Hotel Yorba by the White Stripes. Oh yeah, and it's got more of the the rustic-y vibe to it, and it's still still fun to stomp around to, mm-hmm. you know. Just don't do it while you're chopping with a knife. Yeah, because that's <laughs> might cause problems. Uh, don't look back in anger by Oasis. Oh with yeah, because it's it's one of those you can pull the spatula up every once in a while and belt that chorus uh-huh. up too. Uh, two of Us by uh, The Beatles. Oh. That would be nice and chill and laid mm-hmm. back. And this, you could sing along too easily. And uh, Big Me by The Foo Fighters. Oh. Yeah. When I talk about... Is that, is that the yes. song? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's more... I went more laid back. Yeah. Kind I mean, of I like some laid back stuff too. But yeah, that's kind of what I put for my mm-hmm. for my list. What's the next list? Uh, top five Saturday, Sunday night before the week starts song. A lot of times, yeah, I'm dreading Monday. Mm-hmm. I have a podcast around the idea of mm-hmm. like Monday's coming up. What are you gonna do? <laughs> um, so I, I kind of need to be kind of pumped up for that too. Mm-hmm. And it's like Ready or Not by the Fugees. Nice. Welcome to the Jungle. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, you're, you're jump starting yeah. into Monday with that one. Yeah, Panama Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> Other side by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. Future Starts Slow by The Kills. Nice. That's, that's, yeah. that's solid. That's very, very solid. The mind is kind of more like... 
the calm before the storm that's, kind of and that's, approach. It's, and that's, yeah, that's a, that's that, a way that to was, go. That was the, that was my kind of approach to it because I kind of like want to put my mind at ease before I mm-hmm. jump into a work block, you know. Yeah. And so I went uh, went a little bit more laid back, which. If we want to get into heavier stuff, I can get, I can yeah. heavy stuff all day. But this is uh, so I'm, I'm showing more of my my light, you know, music side. But um, Yellow Ledbetter. Oh yeah, well, that's good. And that one, that one is that is like a major calming song for me because it's got like the syrupy reverb guitar in it, and it's just it's just beautiful. It's an immaculate song. You can't tell what the hell Eddie Vedder's saying, but you love every mm-hmm. second of it, you know. And she'll come back to me by Cake. Uh, Fashion Nuggets, one of my comfort albums, mm-hmm. you know, and that that one is just a nice chill, and you know, you get to like soak into that one. Uh, Fake Plastic Trees by Radiohead, um, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters by Elton John, which you can kind of it's it's more of a that one's more like a B side if if you're not really super familiar with Elton John. Um, it's one of those that you could jump into, and it's it's great. But that one that's probably my favorite Elton John song. And thirty three by Smash. Oh, thirty three. Yeah, jumping into the whole melancholy thing. I think I used to wake up to that song, mm-hmm. maybe, or go to bed to that song, like that, that song, one, and that then, one then and stumbling. Yeah, like those. Like, it just, yeah, yeah. It's it's nice to chill too. Do we have another? Do we have any other other top fives? Will I you, have my final one. Yeah. Do you have any others? I can I I've got at least two if yeah, if we're doing the rainy more. day one okay are you doing uh, the rainy day one rainy day one yeah, we can do the rainy day one I have to come with it off the top of my head but yeah I've got I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you two right now okay adore album by Smashing Pumpkins that's a good one yeah win the pawn by Fiona Apple mm-hmm. I don't know about the other three <laughs> uh, maybe Nine Inch Nails the fragile I really love the, the fragile really, is my favorite album yes. of the nine, of Nine Inch Nails yeah absolutely yeah you can do that one too uh, we got yeah, two more now. It might be something like the Benz or OK Computer. I could totally see the Benz being being more of that. OK Computer is kind of like I don't know. That's kind of dreamy mm-hmm. too, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot of that quality to it. That would be a good rainy day album for sure. And we got one more. Mm. It's harder coming up with these off the top of your head. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> You go, and I'll come up with a fifth one. Okay, my rainy day albums. Let me see. I would probably go with Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin. Because it's one of those that it's got different moods the whole entire time. You know, it's it, Physical Graffiti is like a different genre every damn song. And it's, it's just beautiful like that. It's something that you could actively listen to, and it takes you to a different place while you're sitting there, you know, watching the rain. Um, I would probably go with... Uh, Southeastern by Jason Isbell. It's super dark, and I think a rainy day would would uh, really bring that one out. Um, let's see. I would probably go Pisces Iscariot. Mm. You know, Smashing Pumpkins. It's got the that the whole dreamy, yeah. mm-hmm. dreamy like you know. Rock and it's got the and it's got it. landslide on it. It does. Yeah. It has landslide on it. So that, that's that's a really good one. Um, I would probably go, let me see here. Let's do another acoustic album, I think. Um, ooh, Alice in Chains Unplugged. That would go really good with a rainy day. Mm -hmm. It would go fantastic with that one. Um, and let's see. Rainy day album. 
Disintegration. Oh, the cure. cure. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's got so it's got so many moments in there where it just they just take off musically and stuff and it would just be I think really accentuated rainy day, which we might get Saturday when we go see yeah. it. <laughs> Hopefully not, but we'll see. But yeah. I've got either one of the first three albums by Arcade Fire mm-hmm. can be in my fifth slot slide. Yeah. That, that, that would totally work. Yeah, that would totally work for that. And I have the final top five. What are you wanting to do? But the John Cusack? Oh, those. Which yes. one top five were you talking okay, about? Okay, <laughs> what I have, I have the one top five Desert Island favorite movies. Oh, I did, okay. I did I did top five John Cusack films. Okay, well, you can, do your Desert Island okay, ones. All right, here, here we yeah. go. Um, let's see. I have my top five favorite Cusack movies. And I went, well, High Fidelity is one of them for sure. So that would be, I mean, these are in no particular order, mm. but High Fidelity is up there. The Frozen Ground. Did you ever see that one? Is that a John Cusack movie? Yes. It, it came out a few years ago, and Mm-mm. he is he plays a serial killer in Alaska. Mm-hmm. And Nicolas Cage is the detective. Watch it. Okay. It is incredible. Um, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. I like that one. Uh, Say Anything, of course. And I went with Stand By Me. Oh, he's, he's Denny. He's yeah. in there for like yeah. three minutes, maybe. Yeah. But he does such a good big brother, you know, and, he, and he's such a small part, but such a huge part of that movie all at the same time. Cusack nailed it. I mean, he was, I mean, it was just a perfect little, I guess you would call it a cameo. Yeah. Because he wasn't in it very long, but he's mentioned a lot, you know, the entire time during it. I've got a different list. Than you, which I like. Mm-hmm. I like. Um, so I got Say Anything, mm-hmm. High Fidelity, right. Gross Point Blank. Yes. I really love Runaway Jury. That's a good That's, one, too. Yeah. I'm and um, being John Malkovich is really good, but he isn't, I think, why that movie's great. Mm-hmm. And I love Con Air, yeah. but he's not why that movie's great. <laughs> no. Um, no the same with like 16 Candles. But I'm going to go with this movie. It's called Pushing 10. That's where, nice. Where he's an air traffic controller. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good That's a good selection. Yeah. That's not bad. But, uh, yeah. Well, Pushing 10 it's, it's one of those you don't really think of. Right? No. And it's like kind of never on. It's never kind of on the streamers no. or kind of anything. Uh-huh. It kind of, you know. It kind of like faded. I guess kind of like America's Sweethearts kind of did. You know? Yeah. It was America's Sweethearts. I think it did good at the I, box it office. It did good at the box office. I like that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, um... It was, yeah, it just it, it seemed a little too saccharine sweet for me. So that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a date movie, yeah, for sure. You know, um, but yeah, yeah, that was, that's pretty cool. What's the doggy bag? What are you taking home from High Fidelity? You, it's never too late to grow up, and that's it's something that I kind of relate to because I didn't. I had all the adult responsibilities before I turned thirty, but I I didn't start actually feeling like an adult until I was 30. So I was kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, it was, I had all the responsibilities, had all the bills, had the kids, had, had everything. But it's kind of like it never really dawned on me that you have to make better choices for things, you know, and, and, and you have to do better. And that's that's something that you're never too old to grow up, pretty much. Huh. You know, that's kind of kind of what I'm taking away from that. And it's, it's something that you can, you know, learn from. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people can because there's a lot of people that, Probably need to at some point, you know? My doggy bag is Heartbreak was John Cusack's bread and butter for mm. 15 years. Good for him for it. <laughs> um, great movie, great cast. Bad lessons if you want to live your life like Rob. Yeah. Um, Jack Black is a star. Vinyl forever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Thanks for coming on the show, Joel. I Thank think this you. is going to be the first of many. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Like, we, we've talked about doing several more, so you know, we'll, uh, we'll see how all that fleshes out. Please subscribe to Mac and Cheese Movies wherever you get your podcasts. We have over 100 episodes and starting season two of a batch of 10 episodes every Sunday night before you get to Monday. So we got to go sell some beta band albums. Absolutely. Mac and Cheese out.